Well, episode one. Welcome, Frank. This, um, I think we would I say we we're going to introduce it. Uh, I think over the, over the course of the next, how long you're willing to stay, it's going to be uh, tales of the countryside of hunting big cats in, uh, mm-hmm. in Oxfordshire and inventions, terrier racing and everything else. Slow gene. <laughs> slow gene is one of those ones, I think, in the countryside that everyone, it's like rabbits in the water, isn't it? Everyone always expects country people to make slow gin. It's one of those well, I things. like slow gin. I don't actually drink it. And we have experimented o- over time. And we had a session back three years ago. Um, a friend of my partner's um, wanted to make some. So we got the telehandler out and put the two girls in the top of a bush. <laughs> Me at the bottom and we picked 28 pound of slows off this one bush at the end of our road. And that wasn't all of them. It was a good year. And- anyway, Viv, the friend, had turned up with all manner of sugars. Demerara sugar, Muscovado sugar, caster sugar, ordinary white sugar. And we labelled them all up, the bottles, and I turned them religiously every couple of weeks till about Christmas time, and then we decanted them down. And I was doing the decanting, and every time a pile of used slows came out, I strained them off in a coffee cafeteria, because it filtered them well, and you poured the gin into the bottles. And I feed a, we call him a pet fox, he's a wild fox, Toby, (laughs) on my, my patio every night. And I put all these different piles of different sugared slows they'd only tasted of sugar i tried them they didn't taste of slows they just or gin they just tasted of sugar they'd already been in the gin at this they'd point. been in the gin okay. and i put these <laughs> piles along and there was about six or seven piles of slows out there 500 grams in each and next morning <coughs> every pile had gone apart from the caster sugar which they hadn't touched one <laughs> and three weeks later i had to go up there and sweep them up because he never came back for any more now whether he was wandering around north oxfordshire with a blinding hangover he couldn't take any more <laughs> just didn't fancy the caster sugar but it was quite quite interesting that they had every slow it might have been more than one you should, fox, did you get uh, cameras on him did you know it was a fox or? oh yeah i know it's a fox <coughs> we see him from time he's the darkest fox i've ever seen he's so dark red he's almost black yeah and uh, a lo- lovely strong fox and um if uh, sarah always says if someone came to dinner and they went out the room to do something if there are any chicken drumsticks or anything left on the plate they were out the window for it, and they'd come back and say where's my dinner gone but uh, well the fox had it you know? <laughs> well they actually if you did you see the gwc we know he's there because one night um sarah was sat against the patio door doing some work and um she saw something move outside the door and she thought what's what's um jack my terrier doing out there and then she thought jack was actually just came through the other door and she looked around and the fox was looking at her from three feet away <laughs> yeah he got remarkably tame really but he was very well fed yes well, he, and he comes back as well because did you see Every the night. gwct they they did that data um <laughs> tracking on foxes <laughs> and they go something stupid like 28 miles i, think oh, I saw the one in hampshire that went 20 miles and then a gamekeeper eventually caught it down the test valley somewhere that's, i think that's the one yeah. and uh, that was a female fox as well and you wouldn't think the females would roam as much as the males no um but yeah that was quite incredible <laughs> um i've seen in, in the usa they put a tracking collar on a on a cougar on a pure uh, mountain, mountain lion and um that went 2000 miles it went from california right up to the canadian border wow from may till october they actually have problems with those and, and young children, though, don't they? You don't really have that. Hikers mainly. And hikers, they, they, is they it? So they take more. I, I like to read a good account of a hiker getting eaten in America. Aren't they going to put those in Northumberland? Uh, their links are on about releasing links. killed a forest, isn't they're not, it? They're not. They're not I don't eat think it happened. Na- natural England, <laughs> the, the, the protests from the sheep farmers up there are long and loud. Yeah. And understandably so, uh, because any big cat will always go for the easy meal. Yeah. And yeah, a sheep's yeah, sure. a lot easier to catch than the deer, isn't it? They think they'll control the deer <clears> numbers. 
And they got rabbits, wallabies there. Rabbits, maybe, but I can't, can't really see it. Well, actually, also, by the way, I was thinking just as you were saying how much slows you picked. Mm. The problem, the danger with that is, is how much the gin costs afterwards. Because that's what I always do. I pick so many and then you get to the shop and you realise how much you've got to pay for the amount of gin you need after you've picked half a, half a barrel no, of slows. No. <laughs> uh, my, my recipe is one, one litre of gin, 500, of, 500 grams of slows and 250 of sugar. The first lot I made... Uh, we had twice as much sugar in and it didn't dissolve out and it was in the bottom of the bottle. The cleaning lady loved it. She she got a bit giggly, but um, <laughs> she likes things sweet. Yeah. Also, uh, you when you're saying up in uh, Northumberland, these dinks have been released, didn't the beavers get released around here? Um, we had one beaver. It was down at um, Water Eaton. Um, <coughs> this would have been 10 or 12 years ago. Um, it was snowy. It was the end of January. And... Um, Martin Brown rang me up and said a chap walked in the farm and seen a big cat. Well, when we got down there, it was actually a fox. You could see the footprints and it had gone through some brambles and I got some fur, some hair off the brambles. Yeah. And Martin said, well, while you're here, you better come, uh, Seskett Farm it was, you better come and see what's been nibbling our trees. Well, nibbling these, um, the, down the row of poplar trees, it had chewed them all off and felt them all down. He said, yeah, well, they yeah, built yeah. a house up on the river with it. And we went and had a look and sure enough, it was there. Anyway... I was on Google looking at Beavers UK and they said um, the Mammal Society down in London were on about trying to get licenses to release them. So I emailed them and said, don't worry about releasing them. We've already got them in Oxfordshire. (laughs) And they they said, thank you for your, you know, humorous thing or whatever. I said, no, 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 I'll email you the photos of the stumps. Of course, they were straight back to me because they'd had six beavers at the water park at Sarancheston, Ashton Keynes, and they were down to five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ivor the beaver had been on the run for 18 months. Anyway, um, the snow melted, the river flooded, and he disappeared from there. And on the 1st of May, I had a report from a lady who, this was on the Bush Telegraph, the Big Cat Bush Telegraph, she'd seen a beaver at Dalesford swimming down the river, Evenlo, and uh, Rose Hall. So I phoned her up and said, what did you see? She said, well, I was out hoping to see an otter and I saw this one swimming down the river towards me. I thought, this is great. And just as it got to me, it went over and I saw the flat tail. And she thought, I've gone bananas. That was a beaver. <laughs> anyway, I rang up the head ranger down at Ashton Keynes, Kate, and said, um, Ivor's been sighted swimming downstream at e- on the even load at Dalesford. And they said, that's good because we were going to row a boat up the river Chilwell tomorrow to see if there was any sign of him up there. We'll go there instead. Well, there was no sign. At the end of July, Ivor the beaver was back in his house at Seskett Farm. They set a trap up, baited up with apples and carrots, caught him the next day. And he's one of the ones, that, the first release in Scotland. He got I, ship, shipped off up there. Because I, I thought I recognised the name. I read an article, but I thought it was I thought it was Devon there. I heard an I know then they they don't know where those came from on the River Tamar down in Devon on the Cornwall border there. But they've <coughs> been going for a few years. Uh, but when you see the damage that one beaver had done over on his own, fell mm. in these trees and swimming against the current upstream to build his house on the side there. Martin thought it was the Environment Agency doing some work, chopping <laughs> these willow trees down and tidying them up because the pile got bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and yeah. you could see they were... I got some good photos of the stumps all nibbled off to a point. Um, but I think they are a native species, or they were till they got wiped out. But you look at wild boar in the Forest of Dean and yeah, the damage yeah. they're doing, and you think this might not be such a good idea, you know, if the numbers get too great. Well, I was going to compare it to muntjac. I was saying, actually, you know, it seems strange we've got one, but how many muntjac have we got? And they're not native. You know, yeah, I, some people say about the the big cat population could never get going because they'd be genetically too closely related. Yeah. And I yeah. say, look at the squirrel, the grey squirrel population. <laughs> Two or three got away from Woburn, a couple of muntjac got away, and the muntjac are doing rather well. They may yeah. be closely related in their 
Jane's, but there's nothing wrong with the Munchak population. Yes, there's many reasons why here. the cat population couldn't, couldn't be the same. And actually, there's the cat population mm. got well fed from all the Munchak now. Yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I can see letting the beavers go because at least they're vegetarian, but the lynx, yeah, yeah. You're, you're talking a very different commodity. Terriers are going missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> yes, that would be the thing. Cats, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, if ever they get let in um, leopards go or panthers or anything, they'll take dogs. Big cats in Oxfordshire. But actually, first of all, I think we should start off. Is there a beast of Burford? That's the, that's the main um, <laughs> There was definitely, for four or five years, in about 2005 onwards, we were getting two good sightings a week. Because I should say, well, obviously, for anyone listening, we are two miles from Burford. Good, yeah. So they could have been walking well, outside they, they this window at one it point. They from the pub, didn't they? I admit it was a long range. Uh, but my first, what got me going on the big cats was um, there was a shoot at Cornwall Manor just outside Chipping Norton, and they were pushing a couple of acres of canary grass out, and the deer came tearing out, and 150 pheasants lifted at one go. And John the keeper was up, up with the guns, and he went back to the beaters and he said, Oh, deer spoilt that drive, didn't they? And three of the beaters said, No, 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 it was a big cat, bigger than a Labrador dog, came straight past us. Anyway, John looked him in the eye and said, You've had too much slow jam, haven't you? <laughs> and he said, no, 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 we saw it and the other boys saw it as well. Anyway, that was on the Saturday. On the Monday, the police, um, the wildlife officer at the time was a guy called Percival, phoned him up and said, I understand you had a big cat sighting on Saturday. He said, well, I didn't see it myself, but three of the boys reckon they did. And he said, can I come and see you on Wednesday, if you want? So he comes over and they have a chat about it all and where it was. And John said, uh, why did you want to come see me anyway? He said, on Saturday morning, at the same time, a mile away, just along the main road from the Crosshand pubs, going towards Stowe, a motorist record, reported a puma crossing the road in front of him. <laughs> so you had the two um, sightings on the same day, in the same, within a mile of each other. And, yeah, you can understand that. I think the, the problem is, is that everyone who lives in the countryside wants to see it. Well, mm. certainly around yeah, here. I do. I've never yeah, seen it yet. That, well, that's, I mean, you've spent a lot of time look, you know, look, chasing it, really, haven't you? Mm. But, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read, I've forgotten the book now, The Last of the English Poachers. Yeah. There's a there's an account in there of them seeing it. You know, we thought we saw it, obviously, as you know, yeah. when we were younger. Uh, and you came and did a... In a, a what was it? A paw print. You know, yeah. did a cast of that. Well, that's Turned right. Out yes, the yeah, dog, yeah. yeah. And everyone, everyone you talk to around here thinks they've seen the Beast of Burford, but the problem is, is no one ever... It was before smartphones, really. Well, well it's been good seen cameras. just the other side of the road here. Uh, Tracy Coombs saw it and watched it for 20 minutes, working its way along the hedge. Not munching a uh, sheep, I The other thing is, uh, <laughs> these corroborated sightings, Jane Betridge at Hobsall Farm at Great Chew, she was driving the combine, it was getting late in the afternoon, and she was coming down the hedge towards her. And as they were on a collision course, it started to get nervous. She said it went through the hedge and went down towards... Um, Great shoes boundary and disappeared over there. And she put a note in the diary, saw big cat. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Christmas Eve, she was at the school for the nativity play and Paul Snell, who was running the shoot at Great Shoe at the time, got chatting to her and said, where are you from? He said, she said, Hobsall Farm. Oh, he said, um, I got a pheasant pen just over the brook, over the river from there. Uh, he said, back in August, he said, I saw a big cat come from your way. Uh, that's interesting. She said, um, do you know the date? He said, no, I don't. But um, it was a Friday. Anyway, she got home, she looked in her diary, saw Big Cat Friday the 23rd. <laughs> so you had the two independent ones on, on the same day in the same place, and it just tied up nicely. Because, well, I mean, people have seen deer in trees and stuff as well, haven't they? And that's oh, sort yeah, of on the same, similar days when people and have seen... I've got photos of Munt Jack that have been chewed, and that you can see that it pops the vertebrae apart 
and breaks their neck, which is classic big cat kill. And yeah, um, yeah. some of them have been a bit smelly because it's usually a few days later by the di- time the word gets around to me on the Bush Telegraph. But the gamekeepers knew I was interested in it and they would ring me up. And uh, they probably slung the remains of this munchak in the brambles. <laughs> and I find out four or five days later and it's a bit fly blown and smelly. Yeah. But we always go and have a look. And we've had several like that. How did you become the go-to man? So when, when, when well, we saw just, the cat... I, I, <laughs> I followed them up, and then there's a guy from Oxford, Big Cat Steve, we call him. He's got an oven-cleaning business, and he goes around the county cleaning ovens. And if he had um, a sighting somewhere, he could always work his work in to go and talk to the person that had seen it. And it was absolutely lovely talking to people that had seen it because it always had the same effect on them. They thought, what's that dog doing there? He's got an awful long tail. It doesn't move like a dog. It moves like a cat. Oh, my God. And the heart misses a beat. <laughs> and I know what it's like, because one time I went to see a neighbour, a dairy farmer. I was only a teenager, and he was <coughs> in the cow shed, milking the cows. And I walked through the collecting yard, through all the cows, showing them out of my way, sort of thing. And suddenly I shooed this beast, and it had a big copper ring in its nose. <laughs> and I thought, ah, <laughs> the bull. <laughs> I better go a bit carefully. He was quiet enough. It was no problem. But... Um, Sometimes people say, why aren't there more photographs of it? And I said, did you have your phone on you when you saw it? And they say, yeah, did you have a camera on it? Well, I mean, yeah. that was 2005. I, I was so yeah. mesmerised by what I was seeing. <laughs> I was just frozen. And it, the thought never crossed my mind. It, that you just focus. You're so out of your comfort zone for a few seconds. That, it's nature, isn't it? I yeah, mean, I did, I did yeah, that yeah, when yeah, I saw yeah. a snake because in Australia. Because you're not expecting just, yeah. it. It's completely the unexpected. And you think, what on earth is that? And your brain is trying to take it all in. And the number of people that said to me, you know, it had a but real effect on me. But it's hard, it's hard to actually explain that to someone who's, who's not had that experience. As yes, I say, yeah. when, I, when I was in Australia, I was picking up uh, plastic tree guards from mm. an almond grove. Mm. And underneath it, there was what I can only assume, because I looked it up later on Google, was a western brown snake, mm. which apparently is the second most deadly snake in the world. <laughs> and given that I was half an hour drive from the nearest town yeah. and an hour and a half from the nearest hospital, mm. that would have killed me. But all I remember at the time is looking at this thing and it's there and next thing I know I'm 12 foot behind staring at it from a distance yeah. and until I'd had that experience when people say oh you know I was so stuck you know, couldn't do anything I would have thought you know it's easy just get your camera that's the first reaction yeah. you would have had but it's not is it yeah. you, you suddenly yeah. think there's a cat and your instincts it kid, it, kick in there was, a, there was another case it was a nurseryman at um, Carston and he got a few sheep and he was lambing time and he was out there and he just chucks the dogs out 10 o'clock at night and he went around with the torch and everything and he thought time to go and I whistled the dogs up. Oh, dear. <laughs> and he could see one in the distance in the lights just moving across gently. And it, the dog didn't take any notice. And then one touched the back of his leg. And he well, there's the dog. What on earth is that over there? And it's dark and it's just in the headlights and it's going away from him. And he said, it's got an awful long tail and it's black and it's it moves so fluidly. And then, you know, it's... Your body just freezes. Yeah, yeah. you realise yeah, yeah. his legs went to jelly. You know, well, we he, were so we were hunted by when we were back in the rainforest. You know, back in before evolution, we were hunted by cats, weren't we? So we're mm. still sort of trained. Yeah, yeah. in it our genes, fight and flight. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They see the fear in that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I would dearly like to have seen when I've spoken to so many people, gamekeepers, farmers, just ordinary people that have um, encountered it. What's the and closest you've come? Have you come? Well, the closest ever was a guy called Finch he was whipping in for the Beagles at Chadlington and there was a 
wood had been planted on the side of the hill. It had been planted 12 months, so the grass was like two, three foot tall. It was a nice sunny afternoon. And he thought, I've got the boundary hedge there because by this wood, because there's always deer in that wood, and if the hens come this way, I'll keep them away. And he almost trod on it. It was asleep in the sun. And it, it spat at him and bared its teeth. Yeah. And he just froze. Yeah, I was going to say. Anyway, it got up and stalked <laughs> off and kept looking back at him. And he, he got his mobile phone out to ring the huntsman to say, don't let the hands come this way because there's the biggest cat you've ever seen. <laughs> and his fingers were shaking so much he couldn't press the buttons on his mobile phone. That's how much of an effect it had on him. Up there, yeah, no. and, and he's a sensible guy. He was a, a lorry driver for Smith, Sons and Gravels down at Pletchington. Um, he'd ridden as an amateur jockey and everything in his younger days. Um, a real sound fella. And uh, I went over there with him. And I have to say, he pointed to the spot where it went in the wood and we walked up there. And he said, we going in the wood? And I said, yeah, let's have a look. But the hair always comes up on the back of your head just thinking what, yeah. what might be in there. Um, <laughs> but that was a real hot spot for sightings over there. But at Chalbury, all the sightings, Banbury Hill Farm, to go around the village and the river and everything, it had to cross the road at Banbury Hill Farm and all the widows of family had seen it at different times. And so, Heather Barnett, she was driving to work one morning and it was sat out in the field and she had time to get her phone out and she rang her husband up and said, Brian, that big cat, I've never believed in. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> and, you know, it, was, it just wasn't a moggy. Or anything. The other thing is, people say, oh, it's just a big moggy. We had a lovely sighting at Kingham Hill Farm and I was shooting at Bledington on the day so I called round on the way back and got the best footprints I've ever seen. And, um, is it was cat. You've got the foot. Was what it, we did yeah. was he's got this big castrated tom cat up there. He's a, oh. <laughs> it was like a feral thing, but it was tame enough you could pick it up. And I said, let's compare the footprints. Get that big old cat. We'll drop him in the mud alongside this footprint and see. And I did. You could cover a cat's footprint with a ten p piece quite easily. Cats have tiny little feet. When you actually drop them in the snow or the mud, they are small. And uh, the the big cat footprint is 70 mil across, 70 millimetres across. Be quiet, I actually. always photograph them with my mobile phone yeah, or a 12 yeah. ball cartridge for scale, just to give us a comparison. 12 ball cartridge, I suppose. Yeah. The other thing I've done, I've been around the Young Farmers Clubs and places and given several talks when it was more topical. <laughs> and what I would do, I would take the photos, print them off the computer of these footprints, give the kids a piece of tracing paper and a pencil. Okay, now trace the outline of what you think is the footprint. And then I would download off the Google um, Lynx, Puma, Panther, Leopard, whatever, Tiger, Lion. Okay, now overlay your tracing paper onto the footprint and tell me which one it is. 19 times out of 20, it was Leopard, which means it's a Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. We had a lovely thing. Up at Amazing Animals at Heathrop, they'd got two uh, Black Panthers up there. Little yeah, brothers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Banky and Onyx. And uh, I thought we'd get some real footprints, but known, you know. Yeah, so I, sure, I, we yeah. were taking any, I was a pig farmer for 40 years and we took the dead pigs up there to feed the tigers. So I was up there once a week anyway. And I said to the guy, any chance we could do this? He said, yeah, come up Saturday morning and uh, we, we'll do it then. Well, we went on Google and we did it all properly. We rolled out this bread dough in these what we call Yorkshire pudding trays. <laughs> and where they live to where they train, uh, they run them through a tunnel. So we put these trays of bread dough down and whooped them through. Well, it was a bit sad really because it, it put one foot down then it overlaid another foot on top of the existing footprint. And then it got worse because it ate the bread dough. <laughs> and so that put the mockers on that. And the guy said, you better come back and do it different another time. But we got enough on there to see what a real 
He knew what so it was I doing. have got an actual panther footprint now. He wasn't, he wasn't going to grasp up his mate who got out that no, like, week before. <laughs> uh, but they're beautiful animals. On that programme, Monica the Glen, that used to be on the telly, when you see the panther jumping in the back of the Range Rover, that was Banky. Do you think, it's, the, do you think it's still there now? Out, out about, um, or do you think it's gone? I, they'll be getting on a bit now in age. I can yeah. ask, because Georgia, who lodge with, lodges with us, she's actually an animal trainer up there now. I'll have to ask if they've still got Banky and Onyx You should have, You should have, uh, see what you should have done. You mm. should have, at the beginning of lockdown... Put out saying, "Oh, you know, this cat's been seen," and then yeah. everyone would have been doing it because everyone's out in the countryside, aren't they? Looking what's something to it, do? Yes. That would no, have been perfect despite time. everybody <laughs> being out in the countryside, it went well for four or five years, and then Simon Towers became the wildlife man, and I used to go to the policeman, and I used to occasionally take foot photos of footprints and sightings up to him at Chipping Norton Police Station. Now oh, Frank, come in, have a cup of coffee, <laughs> and he'd, we'd compare notes on it all. He's actually saw it twice himself. And he understood it. Or it He'd be called out if there was, you know, if it killed things as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, so, yeah it had yeah. a rear up at Southcombe at yeah, yeah, yeah. Fairy Tale Farm and buried the remains under the loose hay from the from the feeder. Uh, but no, he, he was a good point of contact. And um, we knew in, it was in the area, but we were getting two good sightings a week and then it went off the radar. It came this way, it went Burford, Letchley, and it disappeared. And we didn't have really another sighting for years. One or two people have seen it since. Yeah, uh, but there is a lovely video. It's Big Cat Warwickshire or something on YouTube, and it's roaming around a garden up there, and um, you can see its shoulders and its muscles and its lovely tail and everything. And uh, chap just videoed it through his patio door, and his little daughter's there as well. And um, yeah, it's no, it's an interesting thing. And I met a lot of interesting people as a result of going out. A lot of the sightings were foxes. Yeah, I was going to uh, say. A yeah. lot of them, the footprints were dogs. <coughs> uh, but that doesn't matter. We, 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 as a comparison, you knew, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we always followed it up if someone had a sighting. Um, we always followed it up on myself or Steve. Uh, but he worked, he's been to America around the zoos there and there's a big, down on Exmoor, there's a big cat centre down there and he's worked down there as a sort of voluntary game uh, keeper, zookeeper just to learn more about the big cats and the way they are. But they'd be so aware. Their, their eyesight's better than ours. Their hearing's better than ours. The sense of smell would be better than ours. And if they saw trouble coming, they'd be up they'd a tree. Out, yeah. Or they'd be just slip away. And they're but so But you quiet. imagine round here, there's a pheasant. They've only got to go 20 yards in the cotswold to find the next meal, haven't they? <laughs> and they can just sleep for the next two days sort of thing. Pheasants are not exactly hard to catch. They're either. not exactly hard to catch, especially dozy. in the autumn. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> But there was one chap, the security man at Long Compton, uh, Little Compton. Uh, it was by the railway bridge, and it got a rabbit clamped in its jaws. Yeah, that's not a moggy, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and the postman, there was one chap, no, not more. The postman, he, he stopped another chap in a car and said, "What do you reckon that is over there?" And they both looked together and said, oh, "It's a big cat." And it was stalking a rabbit at the time. It was actually on its belly, creeping along. And yeah. what would you, what would you reckon if someone was looking to start up trying to find them now? What would you advise them? Like, I mean, there might be people listening in who want to... Well, in theory, the camera traps are the things. If you yeah, knew yeah. the route it took, um, I had one. The trouble was it sensed it on the movement sensor and it took about a second and a half or two seconds before it flashed. And we got foxes. You've got badges on there. I got the first picture of a badger ever on Hotel Farm using that. <laughs> and it worked all right. But if he's just passing through, you might just get the tip of its tail or something. So that had more it's a bit better technology. <laughs> um but they roam over a vast area. Hopefully, it might come back at some stage. Um, but um, we'll see. People did keep them as pets. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. 
I mean, I mean my neighbour, Mr. Washington, who used to have the concrete coal bunker factory where the Renault Formula One factory is now, he had all sorts of exotic animals over there. In fact, the day my sister got married, on the way to the church, there were three boys chasing ostrich around the field on the side of the road that escaped. <laughs> <laughs> we never had anything around here, I don't think, that's, that's got out. We used, to, we used to live in Heathrow Park, so we used yeah. to hear the lions roaring. Oh, yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, it? well, my I tell you what, it makes your hair stand on and you walk through the woods, you... Oh, well, that yeah. and the wolves, you hear the and wolves, wolves howling and the lions there, roaring. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we were only young and, you know, sometimes we'd have mm. to turn back in the walk thinking, that sounds a bit close for my I, life. Um, you know? <laughs> I like taking the pigs up there because for 20 years we took the dead pigs up to them and the more I saw of those animal trainers who are a breed on their own definitely um, the more impressed I was with what they could get the animals to do and we were up there one day and uh, looking at the panthers and he said watch this he went and they came over he said roll over and the cat rolled over he said in a minute his claws will come out (coughs) and I thought these claws would never stop coming out and I said my god they could do some damage with that couldn't they and he said, look at this. And he rolled his sleeve up. Oh, that's going to be bad. I didn't like to ask him what happened to his face because he'd had one lot vertically and one lot horizontally. Oh, wow. <laughs> Have you ever seen Tiger King that came out right in the beginning of uh, lockdown, in the no. first lockdown? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I mean, where to start with that? There, it's an American uh, show about this. these two people. One of them's a very sort of, uh, you know, sort of a bunny hugger, for want of a better mm-hmm. word, uh, tiger keeper who rescues tigers and, and keeps them all in there. And the other one's a redneck, for want another better word. Mm. And they just they have, you know, hundreds of tigers in these two places. And some of this stuff, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's they go in there and they're playing with these tigers like they're cats. And yeah, you so think... I don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the guy lost his arm at Heathrow, you see. They lost some uh, of their arms and, as well. And I yeah. said, um, how long are you in the operating theatre for? He said, three hours the first time, five hours the second time. He yeah. said, it was my own fault. I was going backwards with this broom and it just put its claw and grabbed me. That's the thing, it only takes two seconds, isn't it? They are it so powerful. In that hot summer, 1976, we were bailing at Chival Farm next door and they had a dead, well, it was doing bacon pig, probably weighed 200, 220 pounds. And it was a really hot day and Terry bore the pig and said, give me hand with this, Frank, I want to get on the transfer box, we'll take it along to um, the zoo. And I went along with him and we dragged it off. And uh, the guy said, oh, I'm knackered, um, chap who chops them up. He said, let's chuck it in whole. So there were a male line and two female lines. And he squeaked them up and they come along and they put the sliding door behind them. And three of us struggled to get this 200 pound pig up in there. And then he opened the gate and the big lion came through and picked it up in its jaws and threw it in the air <laughs> like a terrier with a rat. The strength in their shoulders and neck is absolutely phenomenal. It makes sure work of us. A, le- a leopard <laughs> will take... A deer that weighs three times his own weight up, up a tree. tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run up the tree or a warthog up a tree and run up there with it. Yeah. I mean, I mean and then so some of these strong. on this program as well, people are having them like, you know, rearing them in their house. Yeah. All it takes is, you know, one day it's in a bad mood. It doesn't have to be a bad animal, it just has to have a bad day. You know, yeah. it's a bit tired and doesn't like what it's doing. Mm. That could be your neck off. Um, <laughs> I was up there one day, my little boy was about six or seven, his mate was staying with us and we had to take a couple of pigs up. Come on, bring your mate. Ashley's name was we took him up there, and we got there, and the keeper said, "I bet you'd like to see our new cubs, wouldn't you? These tiger cubs." So he squeaks the mummy tiger up and puts the gate across, and he goes in and picks this uh, tiger up and hands it to the boy. And uh, the one he had got, it just put its claws just through his front shirt buttons, and he went oh, like this because they're needle sharp, even at ten days old. Yeah. Their claws are needle sharp. But beautiful animals, and um, I've taken people up there when I've been up there and seen the tigers, and you see them through a plate glass window, you're only a few feet away from them. And on the way back, I said, what are your impressions of the tigers? And they say, I never realised how big they were, a tiger. 
because they've got these um, Bengal cross Siberian ones. The Siberian, yeah. there's 11 oh, yeah, subspecies yeah. of tigers, and the, the Siberian's the biggest. He can be 10 or 11 foot long from nose to tail, and they, then they hybridize them. But they always, I think, breed from the ones that are easy, easier to train and with the best markings on them. Yeah, yeah. And they've been bred in captivity for 100 years. Well, I see um, the attraction. It makes you feel so, I don't know, their eyes small, doesn't it? bore through you. <laughs> they, they, they just steam straight That's through. That's got to give you a rush. Eyes. That's definitely And the other thing was, talking to the keepers up there, uh, they said they'll always go for the easiest prey. If we have an open day, which they do in September, and a child in a push tent, they're all looking at the child in the push tent. <laughs> and then a chap comes in with a limp, and they all fix on him because he's the easiest, he's the easiest. prey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's innate in them. I think but, bulls do that as well. They don't, you probably know more about that. No, I don't know. Do you think bulls? Do wolves, yeah. Bulls. Oh, bulls. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, they, we used to have some bulls in here, and mm. I, I swear they used to go. Sometimes, if someone would get in and they look, at, they had a bit of a limp. They wouldn't, mm. they wouldn't do much damage, but they, they sort of veer over to them oh, and start yeah. nudging them around. Maybe it was just in my imagination because I was only yeah, you know, I was a yeah. child at the time or whatever, mm. and you know maybe I was just thinking, well, maybe they're you know I was I was thinking they're going to come over to me, and they always mm. went over to someone else who might have a limp, but. I could be making it up in my mind, having not being used to the the size of those animals as well. But the American <laughs> thing about keeping these big cats and tigers, they reckon there's more tigers in California than in India now, don't they? Texas in, or something, yeah, in the whole everywhere. world or something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and why? What gets into them? They're big animals, aren't they? I suppose. Um, That's, you should watch Tiger King. It's quite interesting. Yeah. I think it's more entertainment for the people on it than there is for the, mm. the, the cats. So oh, yeah. they are. You wouldn't. You couldn't make them up. They are quite funny, mm. but it is good. I didn't realise as well you did terrier racing until today. Yeah. Which you were talking about earlier when you've, you've yeah, we, t- you stole a, <laughs> a fox tail to the run. Terrier with. racing is great fun. I do it with Paul Whitaker, who I think you might be interviewing next He's week. He's coming He's on next on Tuesday. Dog handler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we just we'll do it him. at charitable events. We don't charge anything for it. Do you compete uh, with each other? You run uh, breed dogs I, against I each other? I haven't got a terrier at the moment, but I have done in the past. I've won Because if you train the dog up, so it. It doesn't look over its shoulder to see where the other three are and just focus on the law, which is a fox brush. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. As a rule. But we were down at Whitnam Plumps at the Young Farmers County Show and we had a good afternoon because we always run the terriers first and then we have like an all comers race where you can put a collie or a boxer. We had one race, there was a husky, a boxer, there was a dachshund. And one other dog in there. Wait, and so the these crowd are, loved it. These aren't always. Oh, that's just a charity one. I was going to yeah, say yeah, these yeah. aren't. The husky's not a terrier, though. Obviously, no, so no. This the was enemy. the all-comers race. After oh, right. Raced okay, all yeah. the terriers and got winner <laughs> out of that lot. And um, but there was a dog show in the tent going on next door, and it's always a mistake to put a terrier racing alongside because you got yap 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 and all these hysterical terriers and yeah, any whippets yeah. or any or lurchers or anything. Now they want to be part of it and they try and get away and they don't show very well. But one of the competitions was the dog with the best trick. <laughs> anyway, one of the that's right. So this guy comes in, and I went to my dog in this one. And they said, "What's your dog's trick?" Then he said, "See these car keys? I can hide them anywhere. <sighs> so find the keys, boy. It will go straight to them. Okay, take him outside. Okay, where are we going to hide these keys? And put them under that box of rosettes in the corner over there. So he squirrels the keys. Dog comes in, find the keys, boy. He goes straight to the box, lifts his leg. <laughs> he found them all right. <laughs> no one wanted Rosette after that. <laughs> It's probably what you thought of him making him do stuff. He wasn't in the mood for it. But the big thing, uh, Paul probably wouldn't tell you this, he's got those lurchers which know the game. They've done it so many times. And sometimes at the end of the display, um, we run diagonally about 100 metres across across the ring, Um, he'll take them a bit farther back and let these two lurchers go. They know the law, the fox brush, has gone under a blanket. 
Yeah, yeah, and yeah The yeah. terriers, we can bamboozle them, and I can salvage it. Occasionally, it'll get shredded, but not really. And they come down. One lurcher will toss the blanket in the air. They go in and they shred the fox breast in seconds. <laughs> uh, but the crowd love it, don't they? It's all good entertainment. It's all good harmless fun. Um, but actually, explain what. So I mean, I saw terrier racing for the mm. first time this year. Actually, I didn't. Mm. No, was it last year? The Morton Show last. Year? Well, you weren't. Was that you at the Morton Show? No, no, it wasn't. I I won it. One because it's the first Saturday of September. We're usually harvesting still, and I did take my dog uh, down there sure, one time. Yeah. And I actually won it. I had to carry this bag of dog food about three quarters of a mile on my shoulder back to the car park. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, no. What we do, we've got uh, an old bike. You turn it upside down. You chop it in two. The front wheel goes to the far end. Uh, where the traps are released. Yeah, um, traps but, where the dogs are. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, the freewheel sure. end. And then I take the back end, which I've welded to back together with a saddle the other way up, because the first one I made, you had to kneel on the ground, but I, the Mark II, I improved it. And so I sat on there, and I work the pedals with my hand. There's no tyre on either of the rims, and we just run um, bale string, a, yeah. full, a complete loop all the way around, an endless loop, and attach the fox brush to it. And I can wind it in and keep it, just ahead of the terriers. Some people use an electric well, you do winch. By, you do it by hand. Oh, yeah, I do it by hand. Uh, some people jack a car up and just run it around a rim. Yeah, And yeah. they can control that to a degree <laughs> on the, the throttle. But I like, it's quiet and it's easy and it's environmentally friendly, uh, the whole job. And then um, we can... I can, And I can jerk it backwards and forwards in front of the terriers and yap, yap, yap in their little boxes. Um we tried to stop them fighting. I've only been bitten once, and that was by my own dog, actually. Okay, another, <laughs> I picked him up, and a, a chuck, they're just, black terrier go, which jumped up and caught hold of his back leg, and he bit the nearest thing, which was my hand. And they just so worked up. Five stitches, yeah, yeah. Five yeah, stitches yeah. on the bank holiday Monday, but uh, <laughs> I forgave him. He, he was he was a good little dog. And they, do they do this straight away? Because when I saw it in Morton, I think it was your comers, and they yeah. had random dogs. And normally yeah. what you got is, is the dogs just run out, and then they just go in all sorts of directions, right. and they don't know what the they're doing. The ones really know about it get hyper and they real focus but we did have one time um i over the pa system put out an, an all comers one and this woman turned up with a king charles spaniel <laughs> and she's like, i don't know if it'll go or not i said well, give it a try let's see it was brilliant yeah, yeah you wouldn't think it you think no little lap dog thing wouldn't you yeah king charles spaniel but no it's in the dna somewhere though yeah, it it worked treat. yeah the hunting I'm team saying, was in it definitely when corona's over we should try and get a video of that george mm. the old, the old uh, terrier racing Jason, yeah. i don't know because i mean we can describe it but it's still like when i was seeing it i mean first of all they just win by just crossing the line first it's yeah, literally that we, simple but serious terror racing what we used to do was chuck the sleeves off different coloured jumpers and then you'd have red green blue whatever the colours and yeah. you'd have a judge at the end and they'd say the red one won or the green one won you know it adds a bit ah, more sure, interest yeah, to it yeah, yeah. Um, is there we, money on it it was just well no some places there are <laughs> The real big terrier shows and nurture shows, you get these whippet crosses, you know. Yeah, yeah, and as yeah. long as they're under bags, I think it's 13 inches at the shoulder, then they're eligible and they yeah. really fly. But the, the, you can't beat the little Jack Russells. Um, Dave Lee, our local policeman at Wooden, he had a lovely little terrier and uh, Max. And um, I trained him up at home. He brought him over. He said, oh, I want to get this dog racing. And we gave him a couple of training sessions. And he won, the young farm was on the Sunday at Hopcross Holt, the young farmer's county show, got a bottle of champagne. And on the Monday, he went to Sanford Cricket Club when we were doing it down there, and he won again. Yeah, so in, yeah, in two yeah. days, yeah. And he's like a little short legs dog, but he, he could cover the ground like no time. Well, I, I've actually built ferret races outside. Mm. I built these, but the problem is my ferrets don't really know what they're doing. I mean, I keep trying to on train the tubes, them. tubes, yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, you've got to train them early on, haven't you? Because when I, I started mine at about two, and obviously the way, I mean, I assume you know, but obviously mm. any listeners, you've got 
uh, piping. I don't know what you do, plumbing pipe, yeah, four inch and, pipe and some yeah. cage, yeah. and then they just have to run through three boxes and back again. Yeah. And the first one out wins. But I thought, you know, being naive maybe, that when I first did this, they'd all just they'd know what to do. But it's, it's really quite hard to get them to go down there because mm. I heard that you know they they lay uh, cables down, you know, yeah. underground pipes. They use ferrets for that, which I thought, oh, it must be you well, know the innate. scent of a rabbit at the far end, <laughs> don't you? That'll, that'll bring them through. That'll yeah. run them through. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, normally I take mine mine ferreting, so they're used to being in dark yeah, holes done, and, yeah, and yeah, working their way like around. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. They just they just don't move. You put them in there, and they just no smell of rabbit. You see, there's well, no yeah. incentive to work, is and they, it? And they get stuck in the middle in their first cage. They're looking around, they're and they're not they're not racing. I yeah, should try to be rabbit sensible. Comfort zone. Getting back again. <laughs> no. Is we this- had um, up here when the Young Farmers Rally was at Swinbrook. Uh, we were doing the terrier racing, and we were put in the smaller ring. Yeah. Uh, the fire brigade were in the main ring demonstrating their um, cutting stuff where they cut cars up to get people out that are badly damaged. But their machine had broken down. So uh, all the crowds wandered over to our ring because they could hear this yap, yap, yap <laughs> and all the cheering and everything going on. And it was a real good draw. Uh, but it's cheap. And it's, it's all the excitement of horse racing, but none of the expense. That, yeah, that's the way yeah, I yeah. look at it. Yeah, you've got your rat catcher you can take home with you. You still do a day's work. But what use is a racehorse apart from racing, you know? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, as I was thinking, though, as well, the only thing I've, I I, I've had occasionally when I was in Newcastle, I used to go to watch the Greyhounds. Yeah. But a lot of people don't like that because apparently, uh, I mean, there's, I mean, I don't know. What's, what's the problem with that? Well, apparently they they kill the dogs after they've finished their oh, racing yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Bring their legs home, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, mean around here, I know a few people have adopted ex racing yeah, yeah. dogs, but I mean good pets, yeah. with terrier racing, I suppose it's. I mean, is there is there anything like that? Do you get people coming to no, protest? No, it's not you professional. Just, uh, it is very much <laughs> nobody am- bothers protesting sport. it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun job, uh, but it is a good crowd puller. I've got to say. Well, yeah. I didn't. I don't see the problem with greyhound racing anyway, because I mean, I went a few times. Mm. And, you know, when I saw the protests outside, I was thinking, well, you know, I'll keep an eye out for it just in case mm. like, there is something. You know, the dogs are doing the same. They're barking away. They're yeah. raring to go. They want to run. They and come out of the trap. Like, they come out of the trap. They, yeah. They're loving like wagging their tails. Yeah, yeah that's all right. Yeah, that's a burst of it. Yeah, like, they seem to be enjoying day, themselves. I mean, it's better that than you know being a, a dog yeah, trapped up dog somewhere. Getting overweight and taking. Yeah, being trapped taking, somewhere. Taking up the. Post office on a Thursday collects a pension is the only exercise I get, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know it's one I'd want to be, is, but I know. I yeah, mean, I know. What would you rather be doing? I've been, I've been, I went again in Wales as well. And yeah, it's a good night out. Have you ever, you've been off to yeah, been dog races? once or twice, yeah. Is it one in Oxford? We actually made money on it, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think is I don't know enough about it. So I went there and, you know, I put small money because yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah, to start putting loads no, of money no, on no. things I don't know how to do. Um, I made a bit actually as well. It wasn't too bad. But I mean, I think that, I don't know if it's on the way out because I didn't know, I didn't even know there was one in Oxford. Yeah, um, and then there was go-karting on other nights of the week in the middle. Ah, is this one, okay. There, yeah. We'll have to go yeah. up there sometime as well, get that yeah. on video. Whether well, it's still going on, and then, uh, it was on the Speedway track, that was right, it's the same track, but the Speedway, Oxford Cheaters, wasn't it, there was a Speedway team then, and whether, I don't think that's happening anymore. Probably all uh, because of been Corona. Built on by now. It's probably been most of Oxford. Uh, well, yeah. communities have been built on, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not going because of Corona. You mean it's not going like no, indefinitely? No, it might, might have finished. Yeah. Oh wow. Well. Yeah. yeah, that's a shame. I mean, I do like. I tell you what, I come down terrier racing. We don't have any terrier. We have one, but he's mm. he's too old now. He's not going to be any use mm, at racing. Yeah. Have to come yeah. down. Yes. <laughs> Give him a go. Also, you're talking here about you fixed up a motorbike. This is, leads us nicely on to your. Um, everyone around here the, knows the, the Frank steam, for his for his inventions. Um, what other it's, inventions it's, have you got? Let's uh, let's have some well, of these out, which that, are coming out. Well, that wasn't out. exactly an invention. <laughs> um, we've always made machinery for ourselves to do specific jobs. 
And because the Farmers Weekly have this inventions competition and ent- entries, I was reading it earlier on today, they got me in by the 29th of month. I'm scratching my head to think, have, have we done anything in the last 12 months? So all yours I've, all I've had four successes. I had a £1,000, a £500, a 250 and a 100 uh, over the years. And it's great fun because if you get to the last shortlist, the last nine or ten, you get invited down to London, you're treated to a slap-up meal in a bank headquarters somewhere Bishopsgate or somewhere we were and um, you meet the Minister of Agriculture who gives you a big fat check you know (laughs) (laughs) that's where you go and a champagne cooler and everything but you meet these other guys that are so like minded to you you say why did you think to do it like that ah well it was like this and they explain it all to you and you realise you're in common ground you know so you only do stuff you invent stuff for your purposes though as in you just yes. if you have a gap in what you want to do yeah, yeah if place. the machine's not available uh, and sure. doesn't do what you want to do and um, so explain a bit of what you do well we, we shift straw bales little bales and in we always used a flat eight gram which picked them up eight at a time the rugby team was off of that point yeah. anyway in 1977 I thought We'll stack them on the trailer with a flat eight grab, and then we want a bigger machine, a clamp that'll pick up blocks of 40 and stack them in the barn. And at Chalbury, I bought an old Mastiff, Matbro Mastiff Miner loading shovel that weighed about six or seven ton for 700 quid. And I drove it home, and it was knackered. Mm. Uh, but we rebuilt it up, and for seven years we ran it and built a clamp on the front. And then, no, it wouldn't have been only three years, because 1980, I thought the logical conclusion now is to build a machine on the back of the baler that stacks them straight in blocks of 40, and we pick them up in blocks of 40, which is like a, a big bale, in effect. It, yeah. 15 yeah, yeah. weight, getting on for a ton in heavy bales. And so we did. And it's now done between two and three million bales, that machine. There's a video on YouTube. Frank's Bale Stacker, you can see me working for four and a half <laughs> minutes. I've had half a million hits on it. What's your... Which, What's your what's your YouTube uh, name? It's just Frank's Bell Stacker. That's you it. just type it'll come straight up if you put it in. It just goes to show how many nerds there are around the world, aren't there? Yeah. Half a million people want to see me <laughs> that's, bail that's before your viewers. Minutes. You're yeah. called nerds. Yeah. <laughs> that's and, really um, interesting. But it's it, there's a lot of interesting comments on the bottom and everything. Um, some you people read them. can't see it at all. You oh, read yeah, the there's, there's only about a dozen or fifteen comments on there. Uh, and some of them are quite complimentary. Uh, I was gonna say, because the only problem with YouTube comments is they're often just full of people who've got nothing else better to do yeah. and just comment no, horrible things. Uh, but um, no um, it's been good and then it won me a thousand quid in the inventions competition which we blew on a cruise around the Red Sea uh, which is an experience I would just like to repeat Uh, but we had the 500 and the 250 I'd made a concrete breaker uh, that goes on the front of the telehandler and you Uh, patent these? no No, uh, I I have got patents on on other things um a bail length metering thing on balers and stuff like that but it was a bit complex and it is relatively cheap to get paint applied for when you've got a year but then it gets expensive and to be honest um the string metering thing i took it around all the baler manufacturers and only one was interested bamford's up at new toxter but um and they got taken over and it got lost but um new holland looked at it spirit new holland and um they wrote me a very nice letter saying, that'll never work, boy. <laughs> anyway, about four or five months later, I had a thing come through um, from Germany um, to say that my patent number so-and-so, so-and-so, had recently been cited in a case in America. Um, if I give them 20 Deutsch, no, 60 Deutschmarks, about 20 quid at the time, um, so it was before the oh, year. Oh, wow, then. yeah, yeah while ago, so long yeah. ago. It was early 80s. <laughs> um, they were send me all the info through well you can't not do it can you so I sent yeah. them off and who was it it was New Holland in New York had applied for this paint and just changed it very slightly yeah, uh, yeah. mine actually blocked them 
Uh, but it so just you got, got the rights to that. Uh, yeah, well, I've let it lapse now because I wasn't ah. going to keep it up because you, you've only got 20 years anyway. But um, it just goes to show you the integrity of um, big corporations, if you like. They yeah. Sort of thought I wouldn't have the wherewithal. <laughs> I know looking at with the Black & Decker work, mate, I think it holds a record. It's the most heavily defended patent in history, isn't it? Because so Which many one? people tried to, The Black & Decker work, mate, are you familiar with that? No. It's like a workbench. 30 oh, years right. ago, there was one hanging on every garage wall. It's no, like I'm a bench and a clamp <laughs> and a vice, and it all folds up, and you, all the tradesmen have them. Oh, right. yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah um, he, he did well with that. Um, so it was invented in Oxfordshire? No, it wasn't invented in Oxfordshire. I don't know where, where he was from, but... Um, it made him a lot of money. Uh, he couldn't market it at all until he was at the Ideal Home Exhibition and he'd already been turned down by Black & Decker. And then they came around and they said, mm, they could see the interest in the public. We'll have another look at this. Once he got a big name behind him and a known yeah, firm yeah, that made yeah. drills and all the, other, the rest of it, all the appliances, <coughs> and they marketed it. Of course, it might have sold millions, absolute millions. Um, That's the, one, the one I liked best of all was Trevor Bayliss, who... Um, invented the wind-up radio. Yeah. And um, he was on Desert Island Discs. <laughs> and they were interviewing him. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. And they said, um, so um, how many um, wind-up radios did you sell last month then, Trevor? Oh, 120,000 globally. <laughs> and they said, <laughs> who, was the fir- who was the first firm to turn you down? He said, I won't say their name, but they know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> They're feeling a bit ashamed. Well, my, my, my mother died last year, she's 94, but she had hers out in the garden at Wind Up Radio. I mean, the brickies on the building, so I have them. And of course, in Africa, where the batteries were dear and you've got no power, power supply, uh, Wind Up Radio, 20 minutes worth of music for winding it up. Yeah. That's where they made them, in Cape Town. Yeah. And uh, so there was a big market over there. Um, no, things have moved on a bit now, but at one time, Wind Up Radios were... The, it's simple but effective, yeah. 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 Same as buying batteries for them forever, yeah. Wish I could come up with stuff over here. That's the problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't have the, I don't have the invention skills. I don't know what you need. The trouble is, in this country, people who invent things, they get rather looked down upon. I was, I was reading a book about Sir Frank Whittle. He invented the jet engine. Yeah. And he had this very polite letter from the Air Ministry before <laughs> it was the Air Force. Saying, yeah, whilst it's an interesting concept, we can never really see it replacing the propeller. <laughs> and of course, look how that went. The Americans got hold of it and, and away it went. And you see it all the time. And if before it came out, the, the Sonny Walkman, you know, my again, my mother would have one on in the morning. She's scrubbing the farmhouse floors and she'd be listening to her music. If you had said in the 1970s um, to a British manufacturer, look, you can have this little thing in your pocket and put these little earphones on and you can listen to music while you're scrubbing the floor. Yeah. Uh, no one's ever going to do that. But look at how many of those must have sold and look what, what it's gone on to I was going to say, now we're hoping that people are yeah, scrubbing yeah, the floors got, listening, to, listening to you in, on, in their uh, on the podcast. The time, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's always been the way with Britain. We're good at dreaming the ideas up and not so good at actually it takes other countries to really develop them and market them. Um, America's good at that. We can America's work good with at Americans that. a lot, don't we, actually? Yes. Inventions. Have you ever thought about that, putting your stuff over to America? Um, a lot of the interest on, on the YouTube comes from America and Canada because there's a big baler thing over there. Yeah. And there's a big horse industry over there that actually want the little bales rather than the big bales. Sarah, my partner, runs um, drawing courses uh, through the summer at the Ruskin School of Art in Oxford. And two of them are on um, plants. And we go out at six o'clock in the morning in August and we'll gather 15 or 20 different species up together. And at the end of the season, she added up, she'd taken 106 different species of plant in, all gathered within half a mile of my back door. 
but we've got hedges, we've got ponds, we've got game strips, you've got everything. So it's all out there, you know, sunflowers. Some of them are being imported, like the sunflowers and the quinoa and maize and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But generally we get we get a bit of blackthorn with some slows on, get some hazel with the nuts on, conkers, you know, all beautiful things to draw. Well, we had an interesting one, actually. One day, one of our students said to us, Sarah, you keep bringing these beautiful things in. Could you find something ugly for a change? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I said, yeah, I'll get you some ugly. So we went and got um, some meddler fruit. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Grown the, wild? No, they're in, in, in a tree down Middle Barton. There's a right, house right. down there called Meddler House. Or Meddler Tree, it's called. actually called Meddler Tree. And you know what the colloquial name is for meddlers, do you? No. Dog's asses. <laughs> If, if ever you've seen a meddler one, you, it's you'll not, is it edible? Oh yeah, you can make so, jam of them. So you go around and ask people who want a dog's ass. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but that's what. George, can you look up a dog's ass fruit? <laughs> meddler fruit. I don't Just know if you're going to get results on that. Otherwise, no nas. <laughs> yeah, that's going to yeah. be one up. No, I've never seen and this. And then uh, one or two other things we found. But when I started to think about it, in nature. There's a lot of beauty out there. There's a lot of beautiful things. Um, the conkers, as, as children, you've got that lovely glossy sheen and there's such a temptation <coughs> to collect them, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. things like that. Well, they keep moths away if you put them in your clothes drawer, don't they? Well, do they? Well, that's yeah. what, well certainly we I put them in our drawers on the hope. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. told they do. Oh. Well, that's worth knowing. But what do you, because uh, if you've seen they've got rust at the minute, most of them have got rust around They've here. got the canker, bleeding canker as well, haven't they? And What's you that? See the, you can see it's the bottom leaves always go first, don't they? Because that's where the insects mm. start on them. And it weakens them. So it's an insect. Them. I thought it was a But they're, they're surviving. And even this year, there was a good crop of conkers despite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Loads out here. In fact, there was a good loads crop of everything. Slows, acorns, acorns. It was, like, no, it was a last year for acorns. Last year, real last sure. year. Yeah. Last year being, you know, one year that they produce yeah. every five years, they produce a lot yeah. of um The other thing is they always say the trees always produce well if they think they're dying and they well, have one last shot at reproducing well, they do that but everything does it doesn't it yes yeah. I mean they've I've seen I've listened to some actually listened to some podcasts that mm. most living beings do that is it some sort of survival mechanism yeah, yeah, yeah. to try and reproduce before you going. die yeah mm. but I didn't know that but what so you think that there's a, well obviously it no, could be a master no, no. I think it might have been the drought they thought this is yeah, a bit serious well, we'll yeah. put all our energy in producing fruit this year so I mean if I had an apple tree in the garden I would have probably taken off half of them when they were growing yeah, to, to, to so help the other ones grow but yeah. these ones were I mean I don't know quite you know normal sized apples mm. and the whole thing the branches were breaking with the weight mm. of them there was just so many of them the problem is is we, because they're wild we don't know what they taste like yet Oh. And you've got to wait another year. I mean, they t- they ate, when they you know they were, when we ate them, they tasted. I mean, oh. a bit like Braeburn, I suppose. Yes. But they weren't they weren't the same. But a bit drier. Mm. Um, so I don't know if I they're going to make good a, cider. A good apple like the Bramleys have just got you. No need to put any sugar with them, but they've just got that nice sharp taste, haven't they? But Bramleys cookers, aren't they? Yeah, cookers. Yeah. But yeah. you no need to put any sugar in when you make an apple pie. No. Yeah. 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 Well, we made. I made. No, it wasn't Bramleys. It was another cooking apple. Mm. I made cider out of that this year as well. Not, I wouldn't suggest a good idea to make cider out of uh, cooking apples. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good for... I used it in mold cider and yeah. you add all the cinnamon and stuff yeah, in yeah, it. it and it actually, it, it just tastes like liquid apple crumble, I suppose, mm. at that point. Yes. As we had so many cooking apples, you know, you can, there's only so much you can freeze and eat in, yeah. in one go. And I thought, well, you know, you can make cider out of apples. Why not try it? Down in San Francisco Martin, a village just the other side of us, they... Um, in the past, they've hired this apple juicer for the day on the Sunday, and you yeah. just rock up with your apples, a few bucketfuls or whatever, and feed them through. And it, you can pasteurize it, and it'll keep or freeze it. But it's good for 24, 36 hours. Yeah, it yeah. looks like 
puddle water because it goes brown, doesn't it? it does. well, but it tastes absolutely beautiful. If you yeah. could just keep it green, <laughs> uh, it would look a bit more appetising. Well, I, I, that was the first year I've done a cider with a press because I bought a press yeah. from Germany. Oh, yeah. The problem is, is it's hand done. And, it's, and considering it's German, it's really badly designed because the handle keeps slipping out. Yeah. It's pointed. It's bizarre yeah. design. And by the time you crush them all down, there's still loads of juice in it. So I think you need a mechanical one, really. Mm. But when it came out, I thought they'd gone off because you put them in and, you know, and the apple sort of yellowy colour yeah, isn't it yeah. and then you know you put it in squeeze it, them and it comes up brown. like a like a really brown colour the yeah. juice but obviously they, I left it for about a day before I put the yeast in and all the, a lot of the sediment settled and it was it was quite clear then it, was, it wasn't it was as bad but it was like a murky brown like so mud, you add yeast to it to um... I add yeast to it because I add champagne yeast to it oh. I mean I know you don't oh, have yeah. to because you can just use a natural yeast on the skins don't you yes but I, I added champagne yeast because I, I don't really know what I've not really got. I mean, it's the first year I've done it. I mean, yeah, it do you think it I should, exotic, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it makes a difference. I think it's just the yeast that they use. Would you, would you just suggest just leaving the apples in? I'll try that next year. Yeah. Because, nice I mean, one. you've seen I've got elderberry out there. Elderberry wine, which people say to make uh, must out of it. So you take the berries, you squeeze the berries. Mm. But I find if you leave the berries in, it gives it a lot, like a darker, heavier taste. I don't make elderberry wine. We make it's called sambuco. You can buy it from Boots, which is the antiviral thing right. made from um, elderberry. The Roman is, is sambuca nigra is a Latin name of elderberry. Right. See, right, and it's called sambuco, and it's um, cordial. Really, you call it cordial. We'll add a bit of sugar to it. Sure, uh, but it's so antiviral, and they think how it works is it's been known about it since Roman times. They never went invading anywhere without taking a good supply of this with them to keep their men fit and healthy. Uh, that it actually coats viruses with jelly, which just stops them reproducing. So if you're going down with the flu, yeah. you quickly swig off a bottle of this stuff. And um, I, I read that actually because when coronavirus came mm. out. I had, you know, half a dozen bottles of, of elderberry wine from yeah. last year. And I was thinking, what if I keep it? All I've got to do is if I start feeling a bit... I'm not saying... Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, suggesting yeah. anyone go around it's <laughs> and use this as a medicine. It's got vitamin but, C in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is going to give you, <clears throat> excuse me, a good defence for a start off. Uh, but there's some, some other magic ingredient in there. But it really, it tastes like wine though as well, because with the other wines that I make, they don't actually taste like wine. They, mm. they, they're they sort of a similar to wine, but they're not, they've got a very mm. different taste. Damson wine, for example, actually yeah. smells like schnapps. Mm. But the elderberry wine is that one actually does taste like wine. And you can tell it's, uh, I don't know, you can tell it's a, a design for that in my eyes. I mean, whether, it's, whether it is or isn't. Mm. Well, I've got a big bottle of Sambuco I made, and it's no trouble to make. Um, your hands go purple, you know, after you yeah, put all the berries. Do. It smells really nice. Yeah, it smells really nice. Lovely, and then I it? added a bit of sugar to it and just boiled it up. You just boil it up and then take all the other berries out and boil it again for another 20 minutes and then bottle it up and freeze it. Uh, I just imagine the bought stuff, the stuff you get from Boots, has got some sort of artificial preservative Preserving, in it yeah, to yeah. keep it going. Uh, but all you need is a teaspoonful or two in the morning. And Sarah takes it because she, she works in the university and not this year, but the, most years the freshest flu comes around. Well, yeah, true, And she yeah. wants to avoid that because in Oxford, of course, you've got people coming from all four corners of the globe and they all mingle together. It's like <laughs> a petri dish down there. Uh, well, that's another thing, I think. The thing I like most about being in the countryside is the stuff that you make. And it can mm. be so good because we've got in the fridge here we made uh, rose hip syrup this year first yeah, we time we used to do that as kids does um, the same say, well not probably as good but it's a similar job doesn't C. it yeah loads of uh, there was C. a lovely story Sarah was reading during the war they paid kids to go and collect it because oranges yeah. and stuff weren't coming in they needed vitamin C and the WR or the Women's Institute used to go and collect them up and they went to a central place and um, 
there was a school up in, I think it was Northumberland, and they came back after the summer holidays, and the school had been the collection centre, and the piano wouldn't play. <laughs> and bang, 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 nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Anyway, they lifted the lid, and the mice had taken the kernels, <laughs> the inside bits, and carted them all and squirreled them all inside yeah, this piano, yeah, yeah, and it yeah. completely killed the piano <laughs> until they, they did, cleaned it out. Have you seen, though, they do it underneath the bushes? Cause when oh, I yeah, them, you can see them, they're absolutely yeah, yeah. white. With yeah, the yeah, inside yeah. bits, the peel's completely gone. And they all stack them up in little piles, yeah, I've seen, yeah. 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 It's interesting awesome. watching it, but it's also, I mean, the problem roses. with that is it's their thorns on them are so big. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know which one it is. It's, it's not the dog rose, is it? It's the field rose. They're and... not actually thorns. They're prickles. Prickles. What's the difference? And the difference is a thorn grows right from the middle of the stem, like a right. blackthorn. You imagine blackthorn, it is right through. Yeah. But yeah. when you see it on the rose briar, it's just on the outside, it's a prickle. <laughs> Well, they both you hurt. Think, I know, they're both <laughs> and if you rag your, rag your skin on it, you know you've done it. I heard, I heard a theory, though, actually. Do you think this as well? That it's that they're actually carnivorous, these plants. Because the way they're... The thorn, the, what, do, what do prickles? The way the yeah, prickles are yeah. aligned on them, um, it's supposed to hook you in. Yeah. And actually drags you further in. Every time you try and get away from one, you get caught on the next no, no, and the next. No, no, yeah. And things mm. like sheep, for example, mm. who've got a lot of fur, net, well, hair, oh, yeah, wool, yeah, whatever yeah, you want to call yeah, it, yeah. they get dragged in and they can't... Mm. If, if the bush is big enough, they get dragged in and can't escape. Yeah. I like blackberry picking. We picked a lot this autumn and frozen. And I make blackberry and apple pies using the bramlers, bramlies off the neighbour's tree. But your Sarah, know they've Sarah can pick <laughs> twice the speed of me. I'm one-handed, you know, in the bucket and I'm picking them one at a time. But somehow her hands just work like this and she, she can pick double the, the amount <laughs> I can. Yeah. But the, the, what I like doing, when you get the elderberries back home, I just put them in a sink and float them. And then yeah, the twigs yeah. and the leaves, because mine aren't too... And the earwigs, <coughs> you always get a few earwigs, yeah. don't you? Thunder they float bugs. off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then you put them in the bags and freeze them. That is important, actually, because one year I made uh, elderflower cordial mm. and I didn't take the stalks off. Oh, yeah. That doesn't do well. We ended up, well, I say we, I was the only one who drank it that year. But it doesn't do much good for your stomach, let's say. Doesn't it? No, it does. It's a very if you don't like it's someone. It's a bit laxative or what? Then? It is very laxative. Oh, so dear. if you don't like someone, you can always offer them up a nice oh, glass of elder, elderflower cordial. You've left the stalks on. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> I don't know if it was that, but it was certainly after I had that. It was awful. Actually, you've got to say elderflower cordial is a lovely drink, isn't it? It a, is a really cold glass of that on a hot summer's day. I think it I think really that's refreshes. A, that's you. the two things that the people in the countryside. Are, well, certainly if you know anything mm. about the countryside, even if you live in a village, yeah. everyone likes. Well, they call it elderflower champagne sometimes, yeah, which is bubbles, similar. Yeah. But everyone loves doing the elderflower cordial. You get mm. people. We've got elderflowers down this road, mm. and that's an A-class road. People come down there at seventy miles an hour, even though they shouldn't do. And yeah. there's your car parked half on the road because you no. can't even pull off of the road no, properly. No, 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 no. And people with huge, great, almost ton bags oh, you yeah, bring yeah. out. And there's out. four or five of them just picking off all these mm. elder, elder flowers. It's quite dangerous, but I mean, you know, it's, it is a nice drink though. I have to give them that. And I, the other I, one I is slow gin. I the side of the main road. I'd worry there were some few heavy metal, a bit of lead out the petrol. The petrol is now lead free. It might be a bit healthier. Or even but still, I'd go, I mean, I'd go yeah. one field back off the road to pick mine, I think. Yeah, yeah I know, but it's well, even just the danger of it. Yeah. Getting people yeah. driving past, it seems yeah, strange. But I mean, I suppose if we are in the, you know, being country people, if we've got somewhere else we know where they are. I'd go in the field, the other side of the hedge, and pick them on the, on the, on the field side rather than the road side. But I suppose they think, you know, they're there. That's where they are, they see them, let's just have them. Yeah. Yeah. And damsons this year as well, that was all on the side of those people picking those off the, yeah, off the damsons, street. Yeah. I heard also, right, I heard a rumour this week, actually. Do you have a stuffed zebra in your... No, no, we room? have a horse skeleton. Horse skeleton. Sarah teaches anatomy. She's a, the anatomy tutor at the Ruskin School of Art. One yeah. of her jobs. Yeah. And she's always asked to do comparative anatomy, comparing human anatomy to animals. And it's a fascinating subject. 
um, and she wanted a skeleton that she could do it. And she'd got odd collections have been given to her, odd bones, horses, cows, pigs, everything. Uh, but she wanted a complete one, and she thought, I don't know, dog, rabbit, something like that. And she was looking on eBay, and there was this <laughs> horse skeleton in Poland. She bought, bought a horse skeleton off eBay. Po- off eBay, yeah, you get anything off eBay, don't you? Anyway, um, it arrived. Um, they said they'd insure it at the other end, and getting broke. Hackins Transport bought it in. And um, it's not heavy. It weighed with the door. It was nailed to a shed door. Its feet were, it was 70 kilos, which is what I weigh. Yeah, and it's yeah. a big horse. It had been 17 hands. And we've had a couple of vets look at it. It was female and it was about 18 years old and it was a working horse. It got arthritis in its knee joint. So it, it didn't have a big hole in the middle of its forehead. So it must have died of something other than being shot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but a vet had done it, it uh, in the 1960s for his final exams. Right. And he'd articulated it, but he'd done it just well enough, if you like. It was there, but his head was down between its front legs and it was all taped up together for transport and inside this crate. And his four feet were nailed to this shed door. We photographed it at every stage. Anyway, once we got stuck in on it, it was quite fascinating. And I drilled um, up from underneath to, alongside the nails and then got me up with the pair of pliers, no damage done. And then I managed to... It, it, they threaded a half-inch iron rod right through all its vertebrae right along right up to its head and um anyway i remade lifted managed to lift its head up i made a little gizmo for straightening the bar up and we had um, the computer on in the background with horses heads in profile to get the angle right and looking at one and then bending it a bit more and <coughs> there was a bit of meat and stuff left on the rib cage which sarah um, sandpapered off yeah, cleaned yeah, it all yeah, up yeah. and we used hydrogen peroxide to clean the bones up uh, unknowingly the computer was running it was done in my living room and the dust as she was sandpapering got sucked into the fan on the computer oh, and the, the computer kept dying and it just said it had this fault or that fault but all it was was overheating because the dust had got sucked in the fan and it was running 10 it's degrees gonna be a new than one it should have been Anyway, once we got the vacuum cleaner in there and solved that problem. But it's been well travelled. I got a lovely oak plank. I buy all my timber from Blen and my son's a cabinet maker and I dry timber in a shed. But yeah, And yeah. I got a single oak plank and we roughed it up with the angle grinder one Sunday afternoon. And then I got some piano wheels on a nylon wheels, about two inches tall. and it, So it's movable. And it's well travelled. It's been down to the Royal Academy in London. It had a week weekend down there. Because uh, she was running a course on on anatomy there, it's been it was in the Christchurch Upper Library at Oxford. They wanted it for five days, and it stayed there for five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real talking point in the middle of this beautiful library with all these works of art around there and a collection of books worth millions. And then there's a horse skeleton right in the middle. I got some lovely picture, and people go up there and drew it, especially. Have you got a picture? Not with me. No, as no, in I, we could put it on. We could put it on Instagram. Yeah, I could. I could email it, it to you. Yeah, try yeah, that. Put yeah. it on. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it has a name. Yeah. Sugar. Sugar. You, you're familiar with Sugar? No. Um, Sugar was the most valuable horse in history, pretty much. Uh, it won the Derby by 20 lengths in a record time. And it was Which over year? in Ireland and it was going to stud not that long ago, only about 1990s. You could look okay. Sugar up. Yeah. And then, anyway, the IRA arrived over in Ireland, masked and armed, and kidnapped Sugar. And Sugar was never oh, seen yeah. again. And no yeah, one ever that. known what happened to it. That's um, not that one, is it? No, You're not no, saying no, that. So you've named it that. Yeah, <laughs> you've no, named it just, to it. <laughs> <laughs> so people, does it have a name? Sugar. Actually, sugar, this is a female, so it couldn't possibly be sugar. Um, it it was interesting just finding out how to sex it. It's yeah, all to yeah. do with the teeth. Um, stallions have 
sometimes not always one more pair of teeth mm. and it's whether the cervix is concave or convex um, but the vets all concurred on this one being female but the interesting thing about horses are when you compare the anatomy their ears are right on top of their head yeah yeah, yeah. your lower jaw hinges from underneath your ears which are quite well down yeah but the horse's hinges right on top of its head as well it's a, a real l-shaped jawbone it goes right up it hinges from right under its ears right on top of its head now the other interesting thing is most people or most things have we got you've got 12 pairs of ribs yeah um rabbit pig dog cows 13 pairs of ribs but a horse has 18 that's a lot of ribs isn't it it must be, is it just long? It has big well, lungs or something? Well, it's a long body or? and it's got a long backbone on there. But um, it's interesting how evolution, how the different branches came out and different things developed in different ways. Well, you um, say evolution of horses. I, d- I didn't know. I don't. I know being in the countryside mm. and actually around here, I know very little about horses. I've ridden a horse once. That was well, last year. But my mum, when she was, uh, what do they call it? Falling, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, falling. She yeah. was falling for Curlington Stud. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, last year. She might go back this year, actually. Mm. And she was telling me things, well, between her and the other people that work there, they're telling me things. And like horses can, if they eat too much grass, they die. It's called colicking, isn't it? That's right, yeah. That's bizarre. Surely that's an evolutionary failure. I mean, if they just eat too much grass, that's what they're supposed to eat. <laughs> but they wouldn't have had the good grass in the old days. They'd have had to been looking out to see a wolf or something jumping on the back, wouldn't they? Well, and yeah, maybe. Scrubbing but... stuff. Yeah, it wouldn't have been like the modern grass. Yeah, colicking. But if they, surely, though, if they're... So it's because it's, it's too rich that they get problems or something. themselves on it, wouldn't they? Yeah, they'd have had more sense in the old days. Yeah, but I mean, that's such a strange thing. they wouldn't have been thing. a different sort of horse. They would have been more like ponies, wouldn't they? Wild well, things. yeah. yeah. So There'd be the difference between a wild boar and a modern sow, wouldn't it? Yeah. You so know, they've, the, they've the original sort of horses. Been, they've, they've sort of lost that through domestication. Well, you can see the way it's gone, you've got your race horses, <clears throat> which are the very fine-boned, really fast ones, mm. uh, with no brain at all, as far as I can tell. <laughs> that's going to offend a lot of people well, listening that, yeah. well, <laughs> I don't know, know but, I don't know. But, but listen, horses... Anything that sees a rusty Fiat coming towards them up the road or a paper bag in the hedge and thinks it's a pack of wolves coming to it, it's never going to win Mastermind, is it? <laughs> well, true. But I mean, if you, you, talking about them, have you seen other animals around the farm? I mean, yeah, I sheep know. are probably but just as bad. But then you see the shy horses at the ploughing match and that. I mean, if you lay on the ground, they, they'd tread over you. They, they've got the sense and, you know, they are trainable, aren't they, really? They, yeah. The working horses. Shy horses are shy fantastic. Horses, uh, gentle They're, giants, aren't so, they? I mean, they, really they are. are I mean, I went at Morton Show again, there was yeah. one there. Oh, yeah. And you just can't believe the amount of weight on a horse. Oh, I know. Like, they are the huge, meat, aren't they? They're massive, aren't they? They're not even, they don't even look real half the time. No, but they've been bred over the years uh, to do a job, just like the racehorses, I suppose. Yeah, when you see the difference between a sort of Thelwell-type um, pony, a little Shetland pony, and then you see those massive shires, and you see the racehorses, <laughs> and you see how... They're all man-made, in effect, aren't they? They're like yeah, designer well, dogs. Same really. dogs, yeah. I was yeah. going to say between and it, it's breeds. incredible how just a few generations on, you can get the I would say desirable traits, the traits people actually want to get out of nature, uh, rather than let natural selection take its its course. Well, actually, talking, you know, the Shire horses. They mm. used to use them for grinding apples. In talking about the cider again, yes. down in Cornwall, because I went to Healy's. I think it was the cider farm down in Cornwall yeah. last year. And they have this museum, and it's fan- it's it is fascinating how they used to make uh, cider through the years. They used they used these Shire horses at one point, and it was because of, I mean I use champagne yeast, which is you know relatively nice, but apparently in the old days they didn't know what was making the the fermentation. Oh yeah, and they used to u- let the horses 
shit in the in the yeah. in the grind mm. and then they oh, I think it was a shy horse and then donkey donkey or maybe it was donkey and then the shy horse crap didn't work mm. so they had to then they what they used to do is they used to staple bits of meat on the beams above yeah. the grind so the rats would come in oh, yeah. and they'd fall in and they'd mm. grind the rats up oh, it's, yeah. it's fascinating if you go down it, well, to Cornwall reading, and look um, at the museum it was a book about cheese and Stilton, they think the original mould, they used to get some old leather harness with a mould on it, and that was what the culture was that started Stilton cheese going, the blue cheese. Yeah? Yeah. So, but how would they make... Because well, Stilton's mouldy inside, though, isn't it? So how do they get, it, how do they get the mould to go in? I don't know. I was problem. reading all about these cheeses. I was trying to think where it was, but it was a whole book on cheeses. It was just an article, but... Um, I like good cheese. Um, the stronger, the better, really. I've been put off. Apart from... I'm a very English. Apart mm. from cheddar... Yeah. I mean, you know, oh, that's dear. because what I, the thing is, I used to work at a dairy farm. I probably yeah. know Malins. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to yeah. just exactly. Yeah. yeah. I used to work there, and, and the smell of it. You know, some obviously they have a tank. Yeah. And some of the milk would the spill warm on milk the, smell. I have to you, say, well, that is it. Puke making, but it was like yeah. it smelled a bit weird, and then they have they spill a bit on the floor when they when the guy yeah. come and puts the he puts the tube the toes on the tank. Yeah. And they suck all the milk out. Yeah. And inevitably, some of it gets on the floor, which you obviously wash. But then a few, mm. you know, a bit here and there, stick gets stuck in the corner, mm, yeah, whatever else goes off. <laughs> And it goes off, and it's you know, especially in the summer, yeah. you'd walk in, and the smell that hit you mm. is just so strong. It smells so like I don't know of this cheese mm. that that really put me off. When I smell this cheese now, I just think I'm putting it up to my mouth, and I just smell the smell of this dairy floor. You know, it's it's not mm. awful, but it just reminds me of the dairy floor, and I just I don't know. The cheese I can't making do with it. it was a big breakthrough because you'd had in the spring when the grass grew a big flush of milk then. Yeah, yeah. And to yeah. preserve it, to make an energy rich food that would actually have a long shelf life, cheese yeah. was the ultimate thing. It is nice. And that's where it all started. And also in this article, I was reading uh, do you know what Cyclops did for a living? No. Um, in Homer's Odyssey, which was written about 600 BC, he lived in a cave. He was a cheesemaker. Well, they knew then that the best atmosphere for making cheese was was in a cave, constant he- like, temperature and, and humidity, you see. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. um, Homer even wrote that um, he used um, the day before's culture to make today's cheese. Um, How'd you get the first one? Doing it again, yeah, yeah. How'd you get to the first one? Surely that's somewhere. You, you must have been well, the first one. A bit of mouldy <laughs> water harness somewhere, and the mould dropped <laughs> in it by mistake. Everything had to start somewhere, didn't it? That's the thing, though, is in yeah. those days, everything would have been different flavours. I think you've lost a lot of that flavour these days, haven't you? Yeah, you know, we've got more now. Are the 700 English cheeses being made now? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the different that'll, ones, that'll artisan make, cheeses. That'll make the Brexiteers happy. From no, yeah. no, no French cheese need to come over now. No, no, that's <laughs> right. Actually, there are some very good English cheeses about. I should, I should maybe explore them. I know we yeah. sometimes do. I like a good sort of but. camembert one. I like the creamy cheese. It's um, nice roasted, to be honest. Yeah. When you put that in the roasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but your cheddar, I mean, during the war, all you were allowed to make was cheddar, wasn't it? That, they yeah, stopped all yeah. the fancy cheeses and it took 30 odd years or 40 years before it started coming back again and then people started experimenting. You never really hear of country folk making their own cheese, though. Not that I, not that I know of. No. I mean, I, I mean, a lot of people make their no. own drinks, but oh, Roger forage and everything Crutch else. Roger does up at Churchill, doesn't he? He's big into cheese. Yeah. He'd be a good chap to interview for this job, actually. He's I'd very interesting. What's his name? Roger Crudge. Roger Crudge. Roger Crudge. Yeah. Make a note so we remember the name. Yeah. Remember the name. Yeah, no, no. He's uh, big into cheese. He makes th- three or four different ones, I think. Uh, well, he was doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, he'd be a good, good bloke. He came and gave a talk actually at the farming club one night, and just got a bottle of Tesco's milk, which he turned into cheese during the course of the event. Yeah, any good? Sort of, Did it taste sort of, right? um, cottage cheese type thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. it was edible. Nice, no, yeah. well, edible. 
it's not the, the highest of praise, but no. Yeah, I mean, this year has been hard for the country, you know, but people have been not really that affected. I mean, when I, because I used to work speaking to a lot of rural people mm. and people have said, we're not really being that affected by coronavirus. But mm. one of the things I think is getting people now, like, I mean, we also always live remotely, you know, mm. you rarely you know, see a lot of people on a week to week basis, but it's getting now, isn't it? That people are sort of coming to winter, being left on your own for that length of time. It's yeah, it's bit. good. Um, before this last lockdown, I had two days loading uh, on a big shoot. Loading um, I just re- for really enjoyed in that, yeah. Just while yeah. stuffing or minding, it's rich Americans that shoot at them mainly, so keep an eye on them more than <laughs> putting, putting cartridges in putting guns, cartridges yeah, so in, yeah, just in case yeah, people so need no, to know, yeah. No, don't shoot. <laughs> no, that's a sparrow. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> people that, I've been shooting with a few people and it is amazing what, you know, people just, I, I think people just assume that we go out to the countryside and shoot anything that moves. I know, I, mean, it's, uh, I think we were talking up there amongst some of the loaders and the gamekeepers that in in Europe you have to pass a test yeah. to be able to be safe with the gun, uh, to know what your prey is, to don't shoot if the background's wrong or too low, or, and things like this, and just to know a difference between a sparrow and a cuckoo sort of thing. Yeah, and because yeah. um, I got no idea, absolutely. No well, it changed in the only this morning actually. I went to give my my renewal for my shotgun and my yeah. firearm certificates. And now you have to have a GP test over that's here. That's right, yes. Uh, that's the first. I think I didn't do it last time, I don't think. I had a guy come round no, and I, I think I'll he met checked. I'll have to do it next time when mine comes yeah. up for renewal. Um, are they, do they charge £30 or something for doing it? I, I've i not heard of it. I mean, I didn't pay mm. anything. I don't know if that means I'll have to pay it when I go and pick it up. It's, Maybe. Fu- it's funny, really, because um, I look at the people I shoot with, the farmers, and they've never been a problem. And they are never, ever going to be a problem because no. they sort of tend to be sensible sort of people. There's only one guy in my life I would have said he should never have had a shotgun certificate. He's dead now. And, um, but... Um, well, we had a few problems at university with people who shouldn't have had one, but actually they didn't have one. Mm. They they were supervised by people at the clay ground, yeah. but actually they didn't have one. So I don't know if they ever mm. applied. But yeah, I mean, oh. it is, I mean, this country, I mean, we don't, everyone around here kind of has one, but nobody really uses it. In my lifetime, how things have changed. I'm 71 now. Um, When I was 13, I saved up all my beet in a potato, (laughs) money, and I went into Venable Shop in St. Audit's Knox and I bought a a bolt action 410 for 12 pounds. Beating up your brown paper and came home on the bus. (laughs) And I was away. And in every farmhouse, you had a shotgun propped up in the corner. And the kids were told, touch that and you get thrashed. So, yeah, they, yeah. you know, Payne's a good teacher. They never did. Yeah. <laughs> and you were brought up with it. We started with air guns and stuff and went four tens and then onto other things. But, um, cat- so we should just say for people who don't know, four tens are calibre of shotgun. It's about right, a yeah. quarter the size of a 12 bore, I suppose. And isn't be- it? beating as well, just in case people don't know, is you, you go out and you, you push, push, birds push birds up for the birds up for the guns to shoot. Birds, yeah. 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 And, uh, but um, my son, who's now 29, um, he took over this 410 and he wanted to get to 100 rabbits before his 11th birthday and it was the night before and he was on 97. He, he logged everyone. Anyway, we went out that night and he got seven. <laughs> he made it. So he got there. But, that's a um, lot of... You just sell them to restaurants, otherwise that's a lot of rabbit no, for the next couple of weeks. Box, so yeah, oh, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally I like rabbit though. Rabbit's a good meat to have. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you haven't. Yeah. We have a lot of you know wild meats around here and... I'm not a massive fan of pigeon because it's too dark, but I do like we, rabbit. I was brought up on pigeon. Yeah, there's enough um, around at the minute. If you want to get a pie. <laughs> my dad, he wasn't really a sporting farmer at all. 
Yeah, there was a lot of white clover growing in those days, and he'd got a flock of pigeons grazing across it. He would crawl up the hedge, he had a single barrel, 12 ball, and he would wait till there was a bunch of them together and let drive. And if he got less than five with one shot, he thought that was a bad go. <laughs> All on the ground, yeah. But in those days, I mean, you read, I've Full read, pot. I've read um, accounts and of history stuff mm. from Blenheim Palace, actually, mm. and in places like Australia. Where and pump guns in somewhere else. Yeah. Where, where's that place where they invented that duck trap? That was not far oh, from um, here. There's one at Borstal in it Oxford. Borstal, yeah. 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 A few of these places. The they used to go punt gunning, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and the ridiculous amount. You know, there was yeah. there was stories. Four, they show you this a quarter of a pound of shot out at one go. Yeah, yeah. and they shoot two hundred birds, yeah, two hundred right, duck yeah. at one go. And it, well, it was awful. I mean, imagine the amount of lead going out of that yeah, thing yeah, yeah, in those yeah. days then, in the eighteen. You imagine how cold it was. You got like two ping pong bats. You're lying on your belly <laughs> in the bottom of this punt, and then something goes wrong. You're just about to pull, oh, yeah. pull the rope that fires the trigger, and they get up and fly away. Yeah, and you've got nothing to eat and nothing to sell. Um, I suppose um, I mean it's worth the risk of the meat in those yeah, days. Eighteen hundreds meat would have been easy. Did make a living at it. But yeah, I remember seeing because at Blenheim they said they had something there which said they were you know they'd have rabbit days. Mm. They could shoot like three thousand so, rabbits. You see, yeah, be up, the keepers would be up all night stopping them out. Yeah, that's so mad. They couldn't get the you couldn't even, I can't even imagine that. I mean, obviously no, before myxomatosis, because the rabbits they were massive they were everywhere they were absolute pests but people made a living didn't they through the war yeah, just yeah. rabbit catchers everyone in the country has got a, anyone over the age of 50 in the country has got stories of old boys who used to go out and catch rabbits for yeah, and different methods of doing it <laughs> yeah because the skins were valuable as well and um, no it kept people going through the war country people were absolutely good you put them on a train to London and a butcher a bit at the other end then soon I'm skinned and in the pot yeah yeah and it was a pest control job. I was talking to one guy at, um, it's called Warren Farm, Aino, and we were over there crop judging, and he said there was a wood, and he said before, after myxomatosis came, wiped the rabbits out, he said we combined another 11 acres of wheat in this field, but we never did before. <laughs> it, you can tell, with yeah, a name like yeah, Warren yeah. Farm, it's on sandy ground. Yeah. And um, it was a never-ending job trying to control the rabbits. Around here last, only about three weeks ago, I counted 32 kites yeah. on, on this farm. Yes. And I don't know what they were eating, but no, they must be eating something. Yeah, yeah. But, but just getting a few too many of them now, now the buzzards. The other thing I've seen a kite do, I was bailing at Middlebarton, and a kestrel was coming back across the field. It had got a mace or a shrew or a vole. And the kite came out of the tree and powered his way forward and hurried the kestrel till it dropped its prey. <laughs> and, and he took it off him. Yeah. Which, if he was feeding the young, it was a bit late in the year for that probably, it wouldn't be very good for the poor little kestrel because there's just so many kites out there and they're going to learn, let him do the work, catch the mouse, and then yeah. we'll come and take it off him. Yeah. Um, We've got a few kestrels around here as well, so they haven't put them off yeah, yet so far. Nice I mean. yeah. yeah. Actually, as well, in lockdown, I've been doing a lot more self sustaining uh, activities. I thought, well, you know, at the time they said three weeks, we knew that it was going to be three, four months. Yeah. So I planted a vegetable garden for the first time. Oh, yes. And actually, I was quite successful considering it was organic because I didn't want to spend out. It just, you know, I planted them, watered them and sort mm. of left them to it, did a bit of weeding. Didn't put a bit of chicken muck on them, man. You've got plenty out there. Well, goat, you put the goat stuff on it. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know if that was any that better, but chicken's quite rich, isn't it? Yeah, very and you've got to let rich. it rot yeah, for a few, nitrogen, for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. And also, I joined up the RHS, just another, that's mm. another shout, you know, just for the sake of it. Yeah. But, and that was really useful, actually. did that. And a few times I've, I've managed to produce meals entire meals for the whole family here and i produced everything myself so i mean even last week i had rabbit rabbit hot pot i had parsnips in it i grew mm. myself sprouts on the side pumpkin with it i put a bit of pumpkin in there uh, onion we had the rabbit obviously i met homemade cider the whole thing and i had wine with it so the good life <laughs> that was well, the problem is is i'm thinking about it like, how on earth you manage to be fully self-sufficient because 
you know, that's taken me, you know, good part of eight months hmm. to provide a, one meal every week, which I've produced most of the most of the stuff for. You've got to remember, historically, until the Industrial Revolution, maybe stuff started coming in from Canada and Australia, the population hovered between famine and starvation. If there was a bad yeah, winter, yeah. then people didn't have anything to eat. You imagine how bad it got by March time. Yeah, I can't imagine. Is it honestly bad? I mean, this is, that's another thing. When people talk about climate change and agriculture... Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things we don't realise how dependent we are on the amount of food we produce these days. If we went fully self, you know, carbon neutral tomorrow, mm. which I don't think is possible yet, and obviously no, we can no. try and tone it down over the years. But you know, everyone blames the you know dairy industry or the beef industry, and yet at the same time, what do you expect? I mean, yeah, okay, fair enough. Those those two aspects may be able to you know be reduced, be even cut off. You don't have mm. to eat beef, you don't have to drink dairy, but. Mm. Farming in general is going to be there in some way or the other. You can't keep cutting it down to nothing. Yeah, but if it's, you start uh, drinking the almond milk instead of the dairy milk in California, that just takes so much water. Yeah, and they've got a real problem the with the water yeah. supply over there now. You're really depleting the planet a bit there. And it's yeah. being shipped in from, from the States, and it's all monocrops. This is what yeah. a lot of people... I mean, I did, no, a, it, it, I did agribusness at Newcastle. Yeah. And one of the things that people don't realise is, okay, you get rid of the cows, but, I mean, you go into a, a dairy pasture here, mm. there's... Birds, there's Birds blue tits, the there's you know, mushrooms, there's yeah. hedgerows, there's fruits, there's mm. uh, you know, various meadow flowers, whatever, what, what have you. And it comes from down the road. It comes from, let's say, three or four fields away here, mm. or even two miles away from you. You go over there and these vast plantations of soy or yeah, almonds. It's all trucked in. Nothing, it? yeah. absolutely nothing. Mm. Dead, silent, literally mm. nothing. There's, you go into it and you won't see a bird for miles. There's just yeah. plantation after plantation. And it, the difference between the two, I mean... You know, in the long run, you've got to figure out a different way. But surely that's not the answer, is shipping in millions of tonnes of soy from from South America, I know. where they've completely desertified the the entire area of life, of any biodiversity. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for a bit of mixed farming, really. Um, yeah, definitely. Certainly up here on the Cotswolds. We're, we're trying to get someone to come in from the village to talk about regenerative farming and mixed farming regenerative mm. so hopefully that'd be that'd be really interesting but I don't know if you know much about any of it. so what do you do on your place so do you do anything um, we grow we grow hay for racehorses that's our main thing and is it is it spray it or is it all oh yeah from? it's an arable crop we yeah, just treat, yeah. treat it it's, it's just grown like a cereal crop really and gets the same treatment so not, it's, as much, it's, not as much fertiliser and not much spray but we, the big thing is you, you cannot have any dust in there at all so you can't have any spores. <laughs> they send it out down the lab. They charge 40 quid to do a test on it. It's a bit of a joke, really, because yeah. they a 5,000 bale block of hay and they'll take one bale as a sample yeah, yeah. and do this mycotoxins test on it. But um, it keeps them happy. And, <laughs> and going back to earlier, you do all of that work and then the horse eats too much of it and he gets yeah, colic and dies. They, they ration them. That, those racehorses get about £10 a day. Uh, which doesn't oh, right, sound yeah. a lot, but some of those stables they got two or three hundred horses in training. So oh, it's yeah, a ton a yeah. day. You know, we we got a load going out Monday morning um, of the best stuff, the finest stuff. And some of them fetch. Uh, quite it's a bit of a niche market, but if you get it right, it can can pay quite well. This year we were hit by the drought big time. It was the poorest. It's the best egg we've ever made, but the yeah. least quantity. Um, I was talking to a guy from Oxford. He came over to get some clay because uh, he was doing a project at the Ruskin School of Art. And I said, well, I'll give you some clay. You can go out and buy it. And we dug a pit in the workshop and the clay had come out. And so he took some of that away. And uh, he had no idea that the British wheat crop was down from 15 million tonnes last year to 9 million tonnes this year. Had no idea we'd had a drought. Didn't have a clue. And I, I said, do you realise how much wheat that is? And he said, well, it's 6 million tonnes, isn't it? I said, that is, <laughs> that is 200,000, 200, 30 tonne lorry loads less 
Yeah. You know, it's just lucky we've had an unprecedented four or five years now of record global wheat crops. Yeah. Because yeah. we're consuming about an extra 20 million tonnes every year globally. And it's only because we've had these record, unprecedented record crops around the world that there hasn't been a shortage. It only needs a political or, or natural disaster somewhere in the world and it can soon turn around yeah. the other way. People just take this food for granted. They go up to Aldi and places and um, it's on the shelf. And it's it's so cheap. I've just been to Aldi before I came here today. Yeah. You buy, I bought a kilo of chicken thighs boned out for one pound fifty eight. It's well, free of charge. Well, somehow they manage, don't they? They they do it, but it's not bad quality. Are they? It's brilliant quality. It's quality. I don't know yeah, how yeah. they do it. I don't know how they, they get it that cheap. Really knows what he's doing. I've got full marks. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, Aldi. The, some things are very good. The jam's good. The meat's good. The Slow gin mince tarts. That's yeah, a good one. Yeah, the mince tarts are spectacular. They are, they are but the baked beans are rubbish. <laughs> How can you go wrong with a baked bean? That's one the of the most beans, English things ever. The beans ever. are the same. It's just the sauce. <laughs> Whether they put chilli or something in it, I don't know, but it's, it's horrible. I can't say I've ever had you, Audi, you Audi baked beans. You can't beat Heinz baked beans, can you? They might be three times the price. They're only 28p a tin in, in Aldi. What about 70 p Are we, are we allowed to give all this free advertising? Yeah, 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 probably, yeah, probably it's true. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll find out if they get in contact with yeah, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Slagging them <laughs> off with baked beans, but no, it's purely that's purely my opinion. I've tried it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I mean, I think, it, I think most people agree, but that's the yeah. thing is, they, you know, how do most people agree? And yet, yeah, obviously, some sold people might like them. I suppose if you were a heavy smoker or drinker and your taste buds have been wrecked <laughs> by alcohol and tobacco, you might need a bit of chili in your baked beans. But I don't. My my taste buds are still quite good. I know what I want. <laughs> <laughs> How are we doing? Have you got enough? Yeah, I think it sounds like we can wrap it up. I mean, it's been entertaining as well. And certainly we can have it on again another time if we, now we know what we're doing. Uh, I suppose it's just wrapping up time. I mean, thanks for coming. Thanks everyone for listening. Hopefully we can uh, move forward.